0: Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. So we're in Luke 24. We're almost done. Next week, next week we end Luke's Gospel. See, for those of you you that don't know, we have been in Luke for over two years. We have seen him live without sin, followed Him on His journey, teaching, preaching, bringing people before God, healing, casting out demons, on and on. We've seen Him die. We've seen Him be buried. We've seen Him rise again. And today we're going to see one of the first things He did after He rose from death. So in Luke chapter 24, we're going to pick up at verse 13 that begins this way. Now that same day, that same Easter day, Jesus rose from death. So he's been dead. He's come back to life. What's the first thing, according to Luke, that he does? That same day, two of them, two of Jesus' followers, were going to a village called Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So here are these two folks going for a walk. We're going to learn one of their names in just a moment. And as they're journeying, these people are having a conversation. Boy, Jesus seemed like such a great guy. I can't, can't believe he's dead. Yeah, I never would have imagined. Wouldn't it be great if he were still alive? (laughs) Yeah, that would be awesome. And Jesus is going to show up. and He's going to have a conversation with them, sort of incognito, kind of ninja-like. They're not going to know that it's him. He's just going to come into the conversation so we get to eavesdrop. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, it's not necessarily that they were opposing what they were seeing. They just didn't see Jesus clearly. Jesus was right there. They didn't see him. They didn't see him for who he truly is, and so he has a conversation with them. He asked them. What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What, have you been living under a rock? And Jesus could have said, No, just behind one. (laughs) Do you not know what's happened? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And maybe at that very moment, he said, Uh oh, nail scarred hands, better hide those. (laughs) I don't know, maybe seven miles he walked like this and talked (laughs) to them. About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping for more. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Yeah, the the women said he rose from death and they saw an angel. Charismatic women, you can't trust them. Saying that they saw angels and no body. Well, that's not what happened. But some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Us men folk investigated it. <laughs> there was no body there. <laughs> he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, which is a way to say all the Old Testament, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. Coolest Bible study ever. Jesus is like, okay, let's start this. Let's go to Genesis. I'm here. Exodus, more about me. Leviticus, I'm in there too. And he kept going all throughout the Old Testament, taking those scriptures and connecting them all to himself. Connecting them all to himself. Here's what's really important. This is how Jesus taught the Bible. There is morality in here, but it's not primarily about morality. There is religion and tradition and and history and miracles and supernatural but it's not primarily about any of that. All of that is secondary. This book is primarily about Jesus. This is a book that God wrote through human authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's all about Jesus, and you can't make sense of this book unless you connect it all to Jesus. So Jesus is going to open what for us is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible for them. He opens it up, and He methodically teaches through it connecting all of it to him. So he's doing that on this seven-mile journey with them as they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus continued as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us. It is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. So this is what God needs to do. Here's how it works. God opens our eyes so that we see Jesus as God, Lord, Savior, King, Christ. So if you have family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, enemies who don't Know who Jesus is. Don't get mad at them. Pray for them. Keep teaching. Keep answering their questions. Keep bringing the Scripture and wait for the Holy Spirit to open their understanding. They're not stupid. They're just blind, okay? You don't yell at blind people saying, don't you see it? That's just mean. God's got to open their eyes like God opened your eyes and my eyes if we're Christians. They recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They ran back those seven miles. There they found the eleven, the eleven disciples. You know, Judas is already out of the picture. And those with them assembled together and saying, here's what they were saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. Those charismatic ladies got it right. (laughs) He's alive. The Lord has risen and He has appeared to Simon, Simon Peter. After hearing that, then the two told what happened to them on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when He broke the bread. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to teach you how Jesus taught the Bible. I want you to see the Bible like Jesus did, so as you read and study the Bible, you connect it all to the person and work of Jesus. So I'm going to teach you some things that perhaps you've heard before, so the rest of the sermon for many of you might just be nothing more than a reminder, but it's my great pleasure to to present this, to teach you. Basically, what we're going to do is a full year of Bible college in like an hour or less. (laughs) And we're going to look at three different ways in which the Old Testament connects to Jesus. There are many more ways than this, but we want to just focus on three. All right? So, number one. The number one where I want to go. Sometimes the Old Testament teaches about Jesus through events. And I'm going to give you one major event as an example. Again, there are several. I'm going to just give you one, one example, and that is something called the Passover. At the end of the book of Genesis, a family, a small family, maybe 60 people are suffering from a massive famine, so they have to seek refuge in the country of Egypt, and so they relocate there. Over the course of more than 400 years, this is Genesis and Exodus, this little family grew to a nation called Israel, and the best guess is they number about a million now. And there was a new king in Egypt called a Pharaoh, and he was to be worshipped as a god, but he was enslaving and mistreating and abusing and harming God's people, and so God wanted to deliver them. He wanted to redeem them so that they could be free to worship Him. So God, the real God, shows up to the false god named Pharaoh, basically saying through his messenger Moses, these are my people. You're harming and enslaving and hurting them. You need to let them go. Otherwise, I'm going to punish you. And Pharaoh resisted. And so God brought an escalating series of plagues. And over and over, the plagues came just as, just as God promised. And then it escalated to the final plague, the killing of the firstborn. And God through Moses essentially said this, Pharaoh, this is it, we're done. I've been patient, loving, gracious, and merciful, you let my people go or I will kill every firstborn in this nation, including your own, Pharaoh. Pharaoh did not repent, and as a result, death came to every household in Egypt with this exception. Those homes who in faith, as an act of worship of the God of the Bible and acknowledgement of their own sin, took an animal, sacrificed it because the wages of sin is death, and that animal was a substitute saying, we're sinners. We should have death come to our homes, but because of our faith in the God of the Bible, We'll sacrifice this animal. We'll take its blood and we'll paint it on the doorposts of the home. And then death will literally pass over our home and we'll be spared the wrath of God. So death came to every home in Egypt with the exception of those who in faith were covered by the blood so that the wrath of God would pass over them. This is all about Jesus You see, many years later, when Jesus comes, his cousin John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul would write to the Corinthians about Jesus, referring to him as our Passover Lamb who was slain. You know why we don't celebrate the Passover? We don't slaughter animals we don't need to. Jesus fulfilled Passover. Jesus is our Passover sacrifice. He shed his blood for our sins so that the wrath of God and the death from sin might pass over us. We don't need those annual feasts. We have Jesus, and we get to love him every day. Events that occur in the Old Testament connect to Jesus. Second category, we learn about Jesus in the Old Testament through titles. There are a variety of titles in the Old Testament that are ultimately attributed to Jesus by Jesus himself. For instance, if you read from the prophet Isaiah, chapters 40 to 66, that's 40 to the end of Isaiah, the dominant theme is about one who is called the suffering servant. That God would send a Savior, a Son who would be a suffering servant. Jesus comes and says, I did not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes as that suffering servant. Furthermore, in the Old Testament, God is referred to as the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. This is in reference to God's eternal nature that God has no beginning, He has no end, He is eternal. And what happens in the New Testament is they pick up that language of Alpha and Omega for God. And it's attributed to Jesus. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, the God who is eternal. We've seen it already throughout Luke. Jesus' favorite title for Himself in the Old Testament is the Son of Man. He uses that title some 80 times in the Gospels. And it comes from Daniel, the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, where the vision is of Jesus in eternal glory in heaven, ruling and reigning, but coming into human history humbly as a man to set up a kingdom that will never end. And and people heard Jesus refer to Himself as the Son of Man, knowing that Daniel passage. They said, He's He's claiming to be God. One of the charges brought against Jesus that led Him to be crucified is His declaration to be God. Exactly, because He is God. And He was crucified, but He rose from death three days later, in essence, to say, I told you so. still another title in the Old Testament used for God. It's around the burning bush with Moses earlier in his life. So Moses is walking along in the wilderness. There's a bush on fire that doesn't get consumed, and God talks to Moses through the bush. So Moses is having a conversation with the bush. Now, if we saw somebody like that, we might call 911. But it's not just a bush. It's a bush that's on fire, this is Exodus 3. And the bush tells Moses, go to Pharaoh, liberate my people. Moses has a good question. Who should I tell them, this is making this declaration, because I don't feel altogether confident saying, thus saith the bush. it's a reasonable request. So through the bush, God says, tell them, I am has sent you. Jesus comes along. It's in John eight fifty eight, and he says this, before Abraham was born, before Abraham was, now 1800 years at least before Jesus was born, was the time of Abraham. Before Abraham was born, Jesus says, I am. What Jesus is saying is, I'm eternal God, older than Abraham, and I was the one who met with Moses in that burning bush and told him to go liberate my people. You look at the titles in the Old Testament that connect to Jesus. The third category, This is by far the largest body of examples. That's the prophecies that are in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. Now, I can't give you all of those because there's 300 of them. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that all point to and relate to Jesus. But I'll give you a few. We'll start in Genesis Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after our first parents sin, and of course, this is thousands of years before Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary, God comes and gives the first prophecy. And He speaks to our enemy, His adversary, Satan, the serpent, in the garden just after Adam and Eve's sin. And the prophecy God speaks of here is this. I will put enmity, strife, division between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God comes and says, sin has now come into human history. I will send a Savior for sinners. He, so we're looking for a male child will be born of a woman. This even speaks of the first hint of, a, of the virgin birth, headed in that direction, because if you know anything about genealogies, especially in biblical times, they were all male-dominated, patriarchal. There's no mention in this prophecy about the male, except for the child. meaning we're not necessarily looking for a biological earthly father, but one who will be conceived by the miracle of the Holy Spirit because he's not a mere man. He is God become a man. And we're told in this that he will battle with Satan. Satan will harm him, strike his heel, but ultimately the one who's coming will defeat and crush Satan. And from that moment forward, there's an expectation of a woman giving birth to a son who would be the savior of the world. God is telling us how Jesus is going to come. And then he narrows the focus even further, roughly 700 years before Jesus was born on earth. In Isaiah 7, 14, we read this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Number one, a virgin is going to have a baby. That pretty much narrows it down, right? There are not a lot of pregnant virgins walking around the Middle East, much less anywhere. It really narrows it down to one person. And she's going to give birth not just to a child, but to a son and he will be given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is coming to be with us. You'll know that He's here when the virgin gets pregnant. It's a miracle of God, it's a once in human history event. Now, where will He be born? God is going to narrow it even further, connecting Old Testament. Jesus. So, we read again roughly 700 years before Jesus is born from Micah chapter 5, but you, Bethlehem, that's the city, Ephrathah, that's kind of the the region in which Bethlehem is in, though you are small among the clans of Judah, (laughs) though there's not much we can say good about you, Judah, (laughs) you're just a little hick town, Small, nobody of importance has ever come from you. Yet out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel. So we're looking for a king, but whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In other words, from eternity past. So he'll be born in Bethlehem. When would he be born? Malachi 3.1, 400 years before Jesus is born. I will send my messenger, so somebody's going to be coming, to prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to His temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So again, number one, a messenger is coming. You'll know it's Him because His job is to prepare the way. Who is that messenger that prepares the way? Is John the Baptist. He prepares the way for Jesus' coming, and then the Lord comes. And where is he coming to? His temple. If you know anything about Jerusalem, if you've ever been there, and you have this desire to see the temple, so you go to where it should be, and you can ask any of the native, hey, I'd like to see the temple. And they might respond, yeah, I'd love to show it to you, there's a slight problem, it was destroyed in 70 AD. For over 2,000 years, they will tell you, there's been no temple. So here's a clue. Whoever this person is, this Savior, He had to come before 70 A.D. We could keep going with these prophecies. We could tell of Isaiah 35 that that instructs us about His ministry that the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. We could go to something like Psalm 22 that tells how He will die by crucifixion. But get this, crucifixion didn't even exist yet. We could go on and on, but here's the big idea. God wrote a book, and it's all about Jesus. As He's walking along the road, His first priority after rising from death is, we need to talk about the Scriptures so that people know the Bible. If Jesus' first priority is that we know him through the Bible, then let's be in God's word and look for Jesus. If you don't have a Bible, we love giving them away. There are two sitting on the back of that sound booth. You're welcome to them. Read the book that God wrote. See Jesus on practically every page. Get in a group. Talk with people. Do life. Have Jesus' priorities be your priorities. And then be that person who encourages someone else in the grace of God. Meet with people who don't yet know that they're supposed to be in the forever family. Answer their questions. Teach your kids. Now, some of you may say, you know, I've talked to people until I'm blue in the face, and their eyes are closed, and they they just don't see it. That's how it started, for two people, leaving Jerusalem on that first Easter. And Jesus kept talking to them. Kept bringing Scripture to bear. And their eyes were opened. So don't stop talking. To people. Don't stop praying for people. Don't stop pursuing people because God surely has not. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.